0: Today is the 12th of May 2022. In just three days' time, come around to the day, the anniversary of the day that the Buddha was born. He was awakened and he passed into total Nibbāna. So upon the Buddha's awakening, what he awakened to was these truths of dukkha, stress or suffering, the cause of dukkha, the cessation of dukkha, and the way of practice leading to that cessation of dukkha. So even as little children, we have this stress or the suffering as well. When something arises, we're not able to solve that by ourselves. So we have to get our mothers or father or our caretakers in order to give us assistance. Like if we feel hungry or thirsty, we're not able to talk to explain that, so we just cry instead. And the parents are intelligent. They know what it is that the baby wants. And if a mother has many children, they look after. She looks after and cares for each of them. Wishes for them to not feel suffering, to not feel any pain. And when any of the children cry, then she goes to help them. Uh, but these days when people's parents get old then the children don't help so much. They say that they've got this thing to do and that thing to do. But the Buddha taught that we should have uh, katanyu, and this acknowledgement of the goodness that others have given us and this quality of uh, katawedi, of wishing to repay that goodness. And these two qualities are blessings for us. They are things that are very hard to find in this world. So the Buddha had great kindness and compassion. He saw all beings as being his own children. And he loved them, wished for them to not have any suffering. And so that's why he had this aspiration to become the perfectly self-awakened Buddha. Even though it was very difficult, he carried on. He put in this effort. So when we are practicing and we find the practice of dharma arduous, which happens at times, we should think that it's not even a tiny amount compared to the difficulties that the Buddha went through. Or well, we can reflect on the great teachers and the fight that they had to put in during their practice following the path that the Buddha laid down. Like the founding father of this tradition, Venerable Ajahn Man or Ajahn Sao. And this has been passed down to Ajahn Chah, this understanding in the Dhamma that they needed to seek out They needed to pass through the jaws of tigers and pass through the uh, haunted graves. And they had terror in their hearts when they did this. They really had to go against the grain, even to torture their hearts. And Ajahn Chah said, in order to be able to bring the Dhamma to teach all of you, it really wasn't easy at all. So, for the fully self-awakened Buddha, he was awakened through his own means. And he had to give up so much, to sacrifice so much, in order to be able to find that. So, we say that the virtues of the Buddha are limitless: Apamano Buddho, Apamano Dhammo, Apamano Sango. That the Buddha is limitless, the Dharma is limitless, the Sangha is limitless. So we're coming close to this important day in Buddhism. And may we all set our hearts on recollecting the goodness of the Buddha and in building up a lot of goodness ourselves as well. And we take this to be our offering of homage to the Buddha. And by doing this, we're entering entering into the very heart of the teachings of the Buddha, which is that all things are conventions, like this body of ours. And really, all people's bodies are the same. They have four elements just the same. Different people are composed of the five khandhas just the same. But it's this mind which comes and attaches to them as being me, belonging to me. And there's liking towards that in the things which we delight in. And this is kama sukhali yoga, this this uh, path, a deviant path of that, of delighting in sensuality, of finding happiness, finding, uh, being distracted, deluded by these things. And if we're very attached, then we don't want to be separated from them, And we want to just have more and more, more and more of that kind of happiness. And when that's the case, then that's bhava-tanha. Or we don't want things like we don't want old age, sickness and death, but when we get them, and we dislike that, and that's vipava-tanha. So there are these three kinds of tanha, of craving. And so we need to practice to develop these minds. So in the Thai language, the word for uh, a hundred and the word for the act of stringing something together, different things together, it's the same word. So we can say that when we were born, then these different kind of parts of our bodies were strung together. There are two eyes, two ears, two nostrils a tongue, and a body. And so we can say then that there are 108 um, ways in which the defilements arise, in forms of craving, 108 desires that we have. But if we have well-established samadhi, and clear knowing, sampajanya, then we'll be cautious. And we'll see that craving and the defilements, they come up when the eyes see a sight, or the ears hear a sound, and the nose contacts an odor, the tongue contacts a flavor, there's tactile sensation contacting the body, or there's a dhamma, a ramana, a thought, an emotion that appears in the heart, and we need to be cautious at that point, have samadhi, there. And knowing is there liking that's coming up, is there disliking that's arising? And if there is liking or disliking, then that's the point at which we need to practice. We need to meditate. If we have sufficient mindfulness in Samadhi, then wisdom will arise and we'll be able to contemplate and into these things. But for the most part, people since their birth they've never trained before. they don't really know much. They've got some knowledge of what's meritorious and they do some merit and they also don't do a lot and they're just not interested in that. They think that Dhamma practice is just a matter for monastics, but they suffer just the same. And what does that suffering arise in? Who does it arise in? Does it only arise in monks or nuns or laity as well? And suffering arises within the minds of all beings that are deluded. Other people can think, well, the is good, but I'm just not able to do it. But really they need to try to do it, to put their effort into practicing, into training, to do this little by little and to develop step by step. Even though it can be tough to do Still, we need to try and do it. But if we do it frequently, then it becomes a habit. And so like those who are stingy, it's hard for them to be generous. But as they do that, then that generosity turns into a habit. And then after that, it's not difficult for them to give. They feel at ease while doing it. Or with people taking up the precepts, If they've never done that before, then it's really hard for them to do it. If they want to do something, then they do that. If they want to say something, then they say it. And that just gives rise to agitation and things become tumultuous. So we need to try to train in sila, to train our minds. Train our minds to not just follow our emotions, our feelings. And here is another aspect in which mindfulness is important. That if we have this mindfulness and Sampajanya, this clear knowing, then we won't be heedless. When there is Sati and Sampajanya, then when we meet with an experience of the senses, then there won't be a liking or a disliking towards that. We won't give rise to anger or hatred towards it. So if these qualities are lacking, however, and we dislike something that we experience, then the mind can respond to that with anger. If there's a liking, then the mind responds to that with love. And sometimes we like something a lot, And that can even lead us to harming others, or even killing others. And that is liking through the kilesas, through the defilements. It's not liking with kindness and compassion. So we need to be very cautious around that kind of liking. But if we have mindfulness overseeing and directing our minds, then however it is that the mind thinks whatever proliferations come up, then we don't follow those. We make sure our actions are virtuous. So people, the ordinary run-of-the-mill people, putogenes, they have a lot of wrongness within them. And we should think that that's just something normal, because that's what these kinds of people are like. For Kalyanajanas Uh, good people, beautiful people, they have some wrongness in them as well, but that is uh, less. It's reduced. Uh, But for uh, Putogenas, there's a lot of fault there, a lot of wrongness. Uh, But they think that that's just normal for them. But for those who are able to Accept, to truly accept, um, then there's no self there left. They've abandoned all their conceit. There's no me, there's no mine. They've gone above uh, right and beyond wrong. And if we rise above rightness and beyond wrongness, then we see that these things are just conventions. We've gone beyond them. And this is vimuti, this liberation. So we need to practice to get to this point where we're above the world. We're above happiness and beyond suffering, above causes and beyond effects, above birth and beyond death. And this is how Limpucha phrased it uh, to rise above happiness and go beyond suffering to rise above causes and go beyond effects, to rise above birth and go beyond death. And this rising above and going beyond, this is Lokutara, this is transcendence. But when we're still on a worldly level, and still Lokya, then we need to be very cautious. We try to train and try to practice and use this practice as our homage. And this leads us right into the very heart of matters. It leads us to liberation. Seeing how all things are empty. All things are anatta, not self. So emptiness and anatta, they are the same thing. This emptiness is Buddha nature, and Buddha nature is within all things. And so may we contemplate to separate out separate out the elements separate out the kundas and then we'll reach with tatanga vimuti this temporary liberation and when we train frequently consistently then this tatanga vimuti gains strength and samadhi grows more and more firm and from kanaka samadhi And when we are able to get into Kanaka Samadhi, then we should develop this and do this a lot. If there's a certain theme which when we contemplate, our minds feel joyous, they feel peaceful, then we should do that a lot. And that leads us into Kanaka Samadhi. Like recollecting the Buddha. And we feel very contented, this inner ease through doing that. And that's kanaka samadhi arises, the mind's on the level of a deva. So we just try and do that frequently. And when we recollect that often, and then this uh, kanaka samadhi arises often. Our minds become firm and settled when we're sitting meditation or doing walking meditation. And then as this grows, um, then it can go into Upajara Samadhi. And this Upajara Samadhi is a factor that uh, leads to knowing the Dhamma. It's a part of this noble path of zila, samadhi, and banya. So when we sit in meditation, the mind can go into Upajara Samadhi, this neighborhood, uh, concentration. And then we can develop that to the point where no matter what posture and whether we're standing, walking, sitting, lying down, there's a sense of ease and peace there within the heart. And it's really amazing that this is possible to reach this state. And the mind turns empty and feels at ease. There's no uh, sense objects that penetrate into the mind. And so there's great ease there, there's a feeling of coolness within that state of samadhi. So initially we endure, forbear, we look after our um, precepts. And while we're still practicing on that level, If there's anger that arises within the heart, then we don't act out of that, because that would lead us to breaking our precepts. But when we get further on in the practice, then we're able to kind of admonish another person, but that doesn't come through anger. We can argue But the mind doesn't have any hate within it. Because we know that the objects of the mind are one thing and the mind is something else. They've separated out. And just like water and oil, they don't mix together. So this is what Lokutara is like. It's going beyond the worlds and it's possible like this. So therefore may we firmly set ourselves in this practice, and when samādhi becomes constant and stable, then we can understand the dhamma with ease. And we'll have wisdom there. Sorry, then one of the ways of getting to this is using wisdom to uh, bring about samādhi within the mind. And then that samādhi goes and increases the wisdom. So these two aspects of samadhi and wisdom, they go together and they aid one another. So we shouldn't have any doubts about this. And some people are proficient in contemplating and this gives rise to peace. For others, they use samadhi first. But these two methods, they come together when sila, samadhi, and panya uh, are together. And at that point, there's no more arguments. When we see the Dhamma, then we don't argue about these things. We don't say that I'm practicing samatha, you're practicing vipassana. For those who do say these kinds of things, it shows that they don't know reality, they don't know the truth. But what we're doing is we're practicing for the sake of freedom for, from suffering, for the sake of using this practice as a homage to the perfectly self-awakened Buddha. So may you set your hearts on realizing uh, this vimutti of bringing the heart to freedom in this life. Don't be heedless in the Dhamma. May all of you set your hearts on this.